Talk to Experts, a podcast where grade seven students talk to experts and find out more about their specialty. I'm your host for this episode today, Esme Loney, and I am a student at College Park School in Lloydminster, Alberta. Before we get to our expert for this episode, I just want to share a little bit about who we are and what we will be doing on our podcast. We are a class of 25 grade seven students in a non-traditional classroom setting where we focus on experiential learning using a STEAM approach, that's STEAM, which stands for science, technology, engineering, art, and math. We want to answer that age-old question of why do I have to learn this by directly connecting what we study inside the classroom with the world outside of the school. For our podcast, students will be contacting an expert that they know in their lives. This person could be an expert in their profession or job or what traditionally could be considered an interest or a hobby. So without further delay, I would like to introduce introduce our expert for this episode, an expert on refing, Brent Riber. Welcome. Thank you very much for the invitation. Happy to be here. So um, let's get started by knowing you. Uh, how many people were in your family growing up? So um, I was the oldest child of three kids. So there was my mother, my father, and uh, my brother, and my sister. The first part of my life, we lived also with my grandma. So we had six people in, uh, in our house. What's your family like now? So I have my own family now. I also have two children. And uh, we live quite close to their grandmother uh, in Switzerland. And so we are often six people uh, together. So it seems like history repeats itself a little bit now that I think about that. Yeah. Um, when you were growing up, where did you live and what was that like? So, I was born in Lloydminster and I grew up in Lloydminster. I went to school all the way through uh, high school, finished grade 12, and um, I spent a year in Lloydminster working then before I went off to university in Saskatoon. So, growing up in Lloydminster um, that many years ago it was a lot smaller and a lot quieter. And uh, I, I think now that Lloydminster is quite busier than it was then. But it was a great place to grow up. We played lots of hockey. Uh, on the ice, and we played lots of hockey on the road, and we lived out by a lake, so we would clean the lake off, and we would play the hockey out there. Um, that's kind of what it was like. School, hockey, or the lake in the summer. Um, so, you moved to Switzerland? Yeah, so uh, what was it like moving so far away and then having to learn new languages and customs? Yeah, so I, I kind of moved away twice in my in my life. Once I moved away to uh, New York City to go to university. That was a big challenge, a big cultural change. The U.S. is much different than Canada, especially that part of the country. Uh, but there's no language problem. You can speak the language. So when I moved to Switzerland in 1997, that was um, a really big challenge because language is a really important thing. And in Switzerland, um, there's a it's the advantage to Switzerland. There's four languages here, and it's right in the middle of Europe, so it's surrounded by all of these other languages. Um, people are very patient uh, and help you learn the languages, but that is actually when you move to a new country, that's one of the most important things that you can do get basic uh, knowledge and understanding and um, learn the language and try to speak it. Um, and that's what I did when I first came here. I taught myself a private teacher and started learning the very basic things about the German language because I lived in a German-speaking part of Switzerland. Um, 
Yeah, I, I would say that would be my suggestion to anybody that has to move or has the opportunity to move to another country and learn the language. Because the language is the gateway to the culture, and uh, cultures are always very interesting. That's another challenge. So why did you move so far away? Oh, sorry. Why did you move so far away? Ah, adventure, I think, was the first thing. Um, I had the opportunity to come to Switzerland uh, and referee in a professional hockey league. And the year before that uh, I got to come to Switzerland, I was in Japan doing the same thing. I had the opportunity to go to Japan and be a referee in their professional hockey league. And then uh, I came back to Canada and kind of quit refereeing. I was going to stop and had the opportunity to come to Switzerland. And I thought, wow, this is a, a great opportunity. And the, the first year was really just an adventure. One year to come and, and see hockey and uh, referee in the professional hockey league. And one year turned into 17 years. That's the, the reason that uh, I ended up staying here as well. Oops. So, uh, why did you choose to become a ref, and how old were you when you became a ref? So, I started refereeing, I was a hockey player, of course, we to start playing hockey, and I was really young. And when I was uh, 12 or 13 years old, I was in a, a mathematics class. My teacher, my math teacher, um, was a referee. His name was Leo Wirtz, and he was a very sort of famous local referee, and he was a, a my math teacher. And we decided that one day we were going to get him talking about hockey on Friday afternoon. We didn't want to do any math homework. So we said, we're going to get Mr. Works to start talking about hockey. And he did, and he convinced seven of us kids in that class to go to the referee clinic the next weekend. And uh, that's basically how I started uh, refereeing. I was a hockey player, and somebody came along and said, listen, we're going to give you five bucks to go out there and referee the game. You have to drop the pucks and, and take care of things and we'll give you a little bit of money. And I just thought that was crazy that somebody was going to pay me to go out there during a hockey game and, uh, and do something. And as it turned out, I really liked refereeing. It really suited my personality. I liked the challenges of it. And um, when, between 13 and 16, I discovered that I was actually quite good at it. And by the time I was 17 or 18, um, being a hockey referee was more fun and more rewarding than being a hockey player. And so I quit playing when I was uh, 17, I think, and, and then concentrated on being a referee. So, oh, so uh, what does a typical day look like for you as a ref? So as a professional referee, a, a typical day is a pretty new routine. I would get up in the morning and I would head to the gym after having coffee. Every morning, I would uh, spend all morning at the gym either training if it was a non-game day, or uh, recovering if it was a post-game day, or uh, getting ready for the next game. Um, at lunchtime, I would come home, make lunch, and then almost always, I would lay down and have a nice little nap in the afternoon. Uh, because I would have to get up, and I'd have to drive two or three hours or four hours to the game, referee the hockey game, and then after the game, drive those two or three or four hours home again. And so you're always very tired at the end of the game, and that's why the nap in the afternoon was not just uh, fun and easy, it was actually really important so that you could keep your energy level up. I would do sometimes more than 100 games a season, and at 
the end of the season, you're often very, very tired. But a typical day was a morning training, good lunch, a little bit of an afternoon nap, uh, start driving the car to the hockey game because we always had to do by ourselves, do the games, come home, look at videos, um, and the next morning, um, is it all over again? We have to. There were some days that we wouldn't trade. We had meetings or things like that, but that was generally the, um, the day. So now I'm going to come ask Gwen to do her question. Hello, my name is Gwen. And what kind of training do you go through to be a professional referee? Hmm. Yeah, what kind of training do you go through? Um, basically, referees nowadays have to be very, very athletic. And so the kind of training you need to be a very good skater. That's the kind of uh, skills that you would, would uh, use. There's no formal training, there's no university classes for hockey refereeing, there's no special school that you can go. There are uh, refereeing schools in the summertime um, and things like that, but basically it's all learning by doing. So you gain experience and, and keep going with that. Um, that's the kind of training. You can do all sorts of things, uh, but there's nothing specific. So the mental training, I did yoga training to uh, learn self-control, did all sorts of things um, over the years, but there's no specific thing. You can't apply for a school. Okay. Have you ever been turned down? Um, so you always want to advance, right? You always wanted to try to get some places. And my goal when I was uh, a young referee was to work in the NHL. And I never got turned down. I never made that goal. I never achieved that goal. But I achieved lots of the other, other goals. So it's, it's a little bit different than applying for a job um, in the normal workforce. The uh, referees are recruited. Um, they they are scouted by players, and so it's it's not the it's not the same kind of thing. So have I ever been turned down? Not really, but I've never really applied for a job like that. Jobs just kind of come along, or they don't come along. Um, yeah, so I've never had to deal with rejection in that kind of form. Thank you. So, um, what was the craziest thing that had happened to you while you were doing your job? So, on the ice, uh, there's lots of funny stories and, and tragic stories, but the, the one that jumps to my mind is um, my birthday is on December 31st, New Year's Eve, and the final of the Spangler Cup is also on New Year's Eve every year. And one year, I was uh, at the referee the gold medal game in the Spangler Cup, the final game, on my birthday, it was my 40th birthday. And behind my back, the, the people in the ice stadium, the people of the organizing committee of uh, the Spangler Cup organized that the whole crowd was going to sing happy birthday to me. So when I stepped on the ice before the game, people, my linesman didn't come with me, I was out there all by myself, skating around, and the whole crowd started singing happy birthday. So I had 7,000 people saying happy birthday to me on my 40th birthday. I think that's about the craziest thing that's uh, happened to me in a good way. That's pretty cool. Um, if you could change your job, what would you change it to? So um, I was studying to be a history professor. I really like the academia. I like the life of the mind of reading and writing. Um, and my goal when I went to the university in New Jersey was to 
become a history professor. So I think the easiest, quick answer is if I wasn't going to be a referee, I probably wouldn't be a history professor someplace uh, in Canada or the United States or around the world. I'm not sure where. Now, if I was going to quit my job now, I probably would just like to be a writer. I just like to spend my days writing stories uh, and, and telling stories. Um, and that's not very realistic at this moment. Now I'm going to ask Nixon to come up and ask her question. Have you ever gotten hurt but still ref a game? Yeah, uh, a couple times. Uh, I oh, I was in Regina one night for a Regina Pass game, and I got a stick right on my chin, and it was bleeding very, very, very badly. And the doctor, uh, he put stitches in my chin without any... Um, anesthetic. We just tapped him in there and said, okay, go back out there and continue to reference. We didn't have anybody else to referee. One night in Geneva, in a game in Switzerland, I got hit with a puck on my hand. And it was very clearly broken. I couldn't hit him with my hand. But I finished the whole game. I drove home, that's about 250 kilometers, and I went to the hospital by myself, and I ended up that next day having an operation on my hand. Uh, so it was broken uh, very badly. And I finished the whole game refereeing. You don't really need your hand as a referee just to drop the puck. So. Okay, thank you. So um, what kind of skills do you need to become a good referee? Oh, there's an old joke that the best referee in the world has 20-20 vision and is completely deaf, can't hear a thing. And uh, that's kind of uh, a funny way to think about it. That is one of the skills that a referee needs to have is the ability to block out lots of conflict, lots of stress. Uh, technically, uh, modern hockey uh, requires a great deal of technical skill. You have to be an outstanding skater. You can't be just average. Uh, nowadays, you have to be better than average. You have to be a really, really outstanding skater. You have to be athletic. Hockey is very fast nowadays, uh, so the referees have to be in shape, not just good skaters, but exceptionally well-conditioned. They have to train. And the biggest uh, difficulty for referees in training is they're always by themselves and not with a team. It's much easier to train with a team and you can get motivation from your teammates. But as a referee, you have to train by yourself. And it requires lots and lots of self-discipline and hard work. And these two things are, are real skills, and that sometimes makes or breaks a referee, a top referee, is the ability to stay motivated and committed. Hard work is a skill. Hard work is not just hard work, it's something that you can learn how to do, it's a talent. You have to be uh, know the rules, and you have to be able to apply the rules with common sense. It's not just enough to know the rule book, but you have to understand the spirit of the rules. It's something that's really important, they call that a feel for the game. And the best referees understand how and when to apply the rules properly. Uh, communication skills. Referees need to be able to communicate verbally and non-verbally. Some referees are great verbal communicators and some are great non-verbal communicators, but all of them, all of the top referees communicate in a way that's effective. And you have to be a student of the game. The game changes all the time, and you have to continually learn what's going on and study the game. Referees can't just get trapped looking at the rule book and thinking that the, the world is going to work like that. The game evolves, and referees have to be on top of the game. You have to be a lifelong learner. 
those are some of the, the most important skills for, uh, for a successful referee. So when you were growing up, did you have any mentors? Yeah, of course. Mentorship is really, really important. And we should all uh, think about that. And you can have mentors in different aspects of your life. I had referee mentors, several of them. Mr. Leo Wirtz was one of the uh, one of my most important first mentors, um, and also other guys in uh, in Whitminster, Brian Morrison and, and Wayne Lundquist. Uh, uh, lots of these fellows were mentors. I, I had mentors, uh, modern mentors. I, I changed from being a referee to being a manager, and uh, I have sort of a manager manager mentor as well. His name is Terry Grayson. He was a referee in the NHL for many years and was also the, the referee in chief of the NHL for many years. He's sort of a mentor for me when it comes to management things. But I have um, other mentors as well. It's really important to reach out to people that you respect and get as much information from them as possible. Uh, because uh, that's, uh, you don't have to make the same mistake as everybody else. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. People have experience, and if they're willing to pass it on to you, you should take it now I'm going to ask Dallin to come up and ask her question. Hi, my name's Dallin, and my question is, how was the transition from being a hockey ref to a soccer ref? So, I didn't actually change from being a, a referee in hockey to being a referee in soccer. What happened was, uh, I worked many, many years in hockey, more than 30 years professional hockey, and uh, I had a chance and an opportunity through Corona, through this crazy Corona time, um, to become a manager of professional soccer referees. And so the biggest challenge for me was the technical side of the game. Um, I was an expert, or I am an expert in the hockey rules, and I needed to be an expert in the football rules and soccer rules. And so that was a, probably the biggest challenge for me. The referees themselves are all the same kinds of characters that we have in hockey. They're very um, A-type personnel, very strong, tougher people. Um, and so I, I know these kinds of people, I know these kinds of problems because uh, a soccer referee has the same issues and concerns that a hockey referee has. So for me, the transition on a personal level wasn't so difficult. The transition on a professional level to the technical skills, uh, the rules, and, and the way the games play tactics. Uh, that's something that I'm still learning. I've only been in the, in the soccer world less than a year. Uh, lots to learn, but it's very exciting. Thank you. Um, so what is your experience with heckling, and how do you deal with it? So <clears throat> heckling is kind of a, a funny thing, and the best way I can describe it is to um, explain how I dealt with equity, generally speaking. I had a referee sweater on, black and white, and um, I always kept in my head that all of the insults, all of the heckling, all of the bad energy, because you could feel bad energy, would get caught on the sweater. It didn't go through the sweater. It didn't come into my body. It just, the sweater stopped it all. And then at the end of the game, I take that sweater, I throw it in my bag, go home, put it in the wash, and the washing machine would wash out all of the insults, all of the bad energy, and I put my sweater back on, and it was kind of like a suit of armor. 
The people are yelling at the referees. They don't know me. They don't know who I am. They don't know that I'm a nice guy. That I like pets. Uh, they don't know all the good things about me. Um, they're all yelling at the referees. They're yelling at my role. I have to play a role in the game uh, to lead the game, but to provide uh, a, a safe and, and fair environment for the players. And sometimes that puts me in conflict with people's expectations or their wishes or if they're a fan of the game. And I just have to understand my role. And I use that metaphor of the sweater as sort of my, my uh, suit of armor uh, that protects me. And basically, that's how I dealt with heckling. There's other strategies, you know, you would have to rehearse answers. If it's a one-on-one -on -one heckling, it's much different than it's, uh, if it's a whole group of people. There are strategies for that as well. But the most important thing is to remember that the heckler is really just a dissatisfied person. And it might not have anything to do with me. With me. It might have to do with some other aspects of their lives. So uh, I always just stood above the heckling. Didn't bump me. Yeah, that's good to, you know, be with it. And uh, what was the highlight of your refing career? So there's been lots of highlights, but I would say that um, in 2010, I got to participate in the Vancouver Olympics. I got to referee uh, in Vancouver during the Olympic Games, and that has to be sort of a, a global highlight. I mean, that's one of the other big highlights. I also worked in the uh, World Junior Tournament in Calgary, and I did the gold medal game on that tournament in Calgary that year. And I think that's a real highlight for me. Um, that's a really big, important tournament. Um, to do the gold medal game um, in Calgary was, uh, was, a, was a big highlight. I had other highlights as well, but I think those two things probably are the ones that uh, I'll remember the most. Now I'm going to ask Addison to come up and ask her question. Hi, my name is Addison, and my question is, what is the worst fight you had to break up in ho in hockey and soccer? So, um, like I said, in soccer, they don't fight. Uh, and so I, I'm, and I've never been on the field as a referee, so I, I can't really speak about that. I had several um, really big fighting situations in the Western Hockey League. Uh, back in the days, um, but I I have to say there was always a rivalry between the Seattle Thunderbirds and the Spokane Chiefs, and uh, there was almost every night that I had a game with those guys, there was uh, lots of fights, um, line brawls, and, and all sorts of things like that. I was never involved in a really really uh, bad one. I was the I was a standby referee once in Seattle when the. The, the team started going up in the stands and fighting with, with the spectators. Um, but I don't like to remember that one very much because it was not very, uh, not very nice. So fighting in hockey is part of the game, um, but I, honestly, I don't remember any really big bad fights. Thank you. So what life lessons did you learn from your job and like any morals of the story? Yeah, sure. I mean, hockey uh, itself, playing hockey uh, or being a referee in hockey is uh, a life school. It's how you uh, learn about people. You encounter all sorts of, uh, all sorts of folks there, from uh, very emotional people to very non-emotional people. The lessons that I've learned are uh, that honesty is always the best policy. 
be honest because then you never get yourself into trouble. Um, and uh, being a hockey referee taught me that it's much better to be respected than it is to be liked. So I do my job uh, for the rule book and for the good of the game. I don't do my job or I don't try to make decisions in order to get people to like me. All I want is to be respected. You don't have to uh, uh, be my friend, but I really just want to respect what I do. Um, the life lesson, the most important one is that when you go to bed at night, you should be able to look in the mirror and say, I did my best today and I can sleep well. And so you put all of your own expectations into your uh, into your day. You don't work for somebody else. You just try to please yourself. And if you can do that, uh, then you're going to have a happy life. Those are some of the most important lessons that I've, I've learned from, from being a director. And don't take life too seriously. It's just a game. Um, in your opinion, what makes someone an expert? And do you consider yourself an expert? Yeah. What makes an expert? Uh, so that's somebody that's really good at something, or somebody that has a lot of experience at something, or somebody that's really good at it has a lot of experience. So, um, yeah, I'm an expert. Uh, I, I refereed something like 3,000 hockey games in my life. I was at the World Championships eight times. I did the um, gold medal game or bronze medal game five of those eight times. Uh, I was at the Spangler Cup ten times. I've done all sorts of things in hockey. I've uh, had the Olympics, as I mentioned. Um, I am an expert. I'm one of those people in the world uh, that can, can proudly say that, that I've done more games internationally than a lot of other people. Uh, I'm also an expert on rules because I studied the rules uh, very carefully. And I can say, honestly, that uh, I'm one of the top 10 people in the world, perhaps, uh, about the international rule book. Now it's changing a little bit because I'm involved in soccer and I've got a lot of catching up to do in that. But yeah, I'm, a, I'm an expert about stuff like that, uh, and which is the reason that I was able to make the transition from hockey to soccer is because those kinds of skills are transferable. The, um, the kinds of skills that I learned in one sport actually work in another sport. And it's, a, it's a very fascinating situation for me to be in. I'm one of the very few people in the world that has ever made a, a transition from one professional sport officiating to another professional sport officiating a, a big sport like that. And so there's been other um, coaches that have done that. This happens in business all the time. Um, but in sport, it's, uh, it's something that, it's my expertise that uh, opened up that opportunity for me. Uh, what do you think failure has to do with success? And also, when did you fail and how did it help you? Totally fail. We fail all the time. Uh, I think that uh, failing teaches us humility. It teaches us how to succeed. Uh, that that old saying, you fail once, you know, Failure is just a sign of uh, an effort. It's uh, there's a there's a saying: the best thing you can do is the right thing. The second best thing you can do is the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is nothing. And I think that's the way we have to think about uh, uh, failure. You have to do something. You have to make decisions. And this is the uh, this is the thing about a referee. We have to decide. Sometimes without full knowledge. Sometimes in, in funny situations. But we have to decide. And you make mistakes. 
and you simply have to learn from your mistakes. That's the bottom line. It has nothing to do with you as a person. Uh, everybody makes mistakes. You should all be, uh, understand that. Keep moving forward. So now I'm going to open the floor up for any questions. Hi, I'm Carter. Um, what is the most creative chirp you've heard from the stands or a bench? One that made you laugh. Wow, that's it, guys. I got a good one, but it's not uh, <laughs> I can't say it. Hey, maybe the class will have to do <laughs> thank, thank you. Hello, it's Brenton, and I was wondering, have you ever had a biased opinion in a game? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. A lot of people don't understand that, that um, to be a referee, you have to be um, objective, as objective as possible. Every game starts 0-0. Every team starts, every player has the same chance. So a bias is something that gets in the way of the subjectivity. Um, and a lot of people that are fans of a, of a team have difficulty to understand that a referee can be neutral. And, and so, no, I mean, uh, I work very hard against biases. We have, we have also players, I mean, there's lots of players that have that, um, difficulty along with. But I, I would tell them that. I would say, listen, you know, what, you know what happens when we talk to each other? It always goes crazy. Don't talk to me. Just leave me alone. I'm going to get along fine. And, and so I try to avoid bringing any kind of bias into the situation. Um, it's really important that the referee acknowledges the fact that personalities can conflict. I get along with some players better than other players, but everybody gets the same chance. And so um, you have to avoid biases as much as uh, as possible. And you can't, as a hockey writer, you can't be a fan of a hockey team. You can be a hockey fan, but you can't be, uh, if, the, if the Edmonton Oilers are your favorite team, and you shouldn't referee them, because then you can't avoid the bias. But it's, it's a good question, an important one, and um, I can honestly say that I'm not a hockey fan. I don't have any teams uh, that are my favorite teams. I love hockey, but I'm, I'm not a fan of one team at all. Thank you. Hello, my name is Rainer, and what differences are there between NHL games and Swiss League games, rules or gameplay? Yeah, okay, so they, uh, this year they have to change the rules in the to be much more like the NHL. So the rules themselves are much closer now. There are some differences, but... Uh, perhaps for, for most people we won't understand. Um, one of the biggest differences is um, uh, the NHL plays on an NHL style rink, which is smaller, narrower than the international. The international rink is three meters wider, and it changes all of the angles of the game. It actually changes the contact moments in the games. It changes uh, some certain tactics and uh, creates different opportunities. So, tactically speaking, um, NHL game is different than the international game. There's also a huge difference that the players are much larger in the NHL than in, in European games. 
remedies. And so this has the effect of making the game much less physical in Europe and in North America much more physical. So that's probably the biggest case. And hockey in Europe is kind of miniature NHL. Not so much contact, uh, hardly any fighting at all. Um, the NHL hockey is bigger, and so that's all the basically the best athletes in the world looks better. Um, but it's very entertaining hockey. Very, very, the fans have fun and they're crazy and they're singing and dancing. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great environment. Okay, thank you. Hi, I'm Jackson, and my question is as a manager of like refs, do you still ha- officiate like on the ice? Nope. Um, I, don't. I still play hockey, I still coach hockey, my son plays hockey. Um, I'm, I'm still at the hockey rink every uh, three or four times a week, but I don't referee any games. Since I quit refereeing, I haven't been, uh, I don't go on the ice at all as a referee. Um, I changed gears uh, completely. So, no, not on the ice anymore as a referee. Okay, thank you. Hello, my name is Liam. And what is your favorite phrase in another language? And what is the most useful phrase that we should learn before visiting a new country? <laughs> also, the most useful phrase before visiting another country to go to some places, where is the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing is, I can't eat mushrooms. Um, uh, mushrooms make me sick. And so wherever I go, I always learn how you say mushrooms in that language. So that if I'm in a restaurant, I can ask. Okay, bye. <laughs> Hi, my name is Eli, and my question is, when you were younger, what job would you like to have had other than being a referee? Um, well, like I said, uh, I worked in the insurance business right after high school. I got a job, uh, but that wasn't very fascinating for me. Um, I was pretty much uh, hockey crazy. And so the longest time I wanted to be a, a hockey player, and then I wanted to be a referee, uh, going to university, my first year in university, I was going to be a teacher. That was my idea. And the longer I spent in university, the more I wanted to be a teacher at a higher level, um, uh, teach history. So I, I think that uh, I did lots of jobs when I was a kid. I worked in the oil field in Lloydminster. I was a carpenter. I, I did all sorts of jobs. I tried tons of things out. But, you know, somehow or other, I just ended up staying in sports, and um, I don't know what else I would do. Like I said, be a history professor. Thank you. Um, my name is Aiden, and in your opinion, what was the best game you ever refed? My my best game ever. Hmm. You know what? There's I did lots of I did lots of games that I was really close to uh, being very really that's the goal when you represent the perfect game and never represent the perfect game. I did a game in Innsbruck uh, in a World Championships between Canada and the United States. 
And that was in 2004. Is that right? 2004, I think, or five, when the lockout was on. So all of the big hockey players, uh, famous hockey players, Joe Horton was playing for Team Canada. And uh, I did this game in Canada and the USA. And that was the first time in uh, recent memory that a Canadian referee Canada game in the World Championships, they just didn't do that. And that was a game that was quite close to being one of my best games. It really went very well. I don't remember who won anymore, can't even tell you, uh, but I remember feeling very, very proud of that game at the end because it was a big challenge um, to be a Canadian referee in that game and making sure that I didn't show any biases, uh, like the question before. Uh, that was a huge accomplishment for me, and I think it was one of my better games. Okay, thank you. Hello, it's Brighton again, and I was wondering, um, will you ever decide to ref outside of hockey or soccer? To ref outside of hockey or soccer? Yes. Like, not those two sports. <clears throat> well, um, when, I, when I look ahead right now at the challenges and the opportunities that I have in soccer, uh, I do not feel like I'm going to make any changes there. Uh, um, soccer is uh, a world sport. Hockey is also almost a world sport in South America. It's not as big as, as, as soccer. And so in some ways, I moved from a really big sport to an even bigger sport. And I, I don't think that I'm going to make any, uh, any changes. I've still have lots to learn in soccer. And I think the next uh, three, four, five years, um, I'd like to stay in that in that business. Um, I I I think when that adventure is finished, then I probably won't do anything with. I'm going to buy a boat and go sailing in the Mediterranean. Thank you. Okay. Hello, Brian again. Hi, I'm Callie, and I was wondering if you've ever refed the Colton Flyers because I was wondering if you refed my uncle's my uncle because he was on that team. The Colton Flyers. Colton. Colton. The, what, what's your uncle's? The Colton Flyers. Oh, and what's your uncle's name? Brooks, like. Yes, uh, he also uh, I did referee him. Uh, I No, he doesn't. Yeah, I'd have to look at what years he played, but I, uh, I recognize his name. I'm pretty sure that we were on the ice together. We probably said nice things to each other. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, hi. Oh. Hi, it's Addison again. And uh, my question was, have you ever uh, ref futsal? Futsal? I've never refereed football, but this is um, um, in the, the, the company that I work for is called the Swiss uh, Football Association, and they have a, a football department as well. And we have referees that referee in football, and that's a very, very popular sport 
uh, in Switzerland, uh, and uh, there's lots of people playing it, and it's becoming more and more popular all the time. Um, uh, I'm not involved with those guys, but some of the some of our referees on the pitch, uh, so in in uh, normal people, are also referees in football, uh, and so I have some contact with these guys uh, once in a while. Um, I, I know that it's a very, very popular sport. Do you play football? No, I don't. Thank you. Hi, my name's John, and my question for you is, can you speak German fluently? Yeah, I can speak German, um, but I have a very strong accent. And when I, when I speak it, uh, people recognize right away that I'm not. From Switzerland. Switzerland has a dialect. They call it Swiss German, and it's a very uh, strong, uh, difficult to understand dialect. In Germany, they speak uh, certain parts of German, uh, something called High German, Hochdeutsch. And uh, people call my my accent. They don't call it Hochdeutsch. They call it Hockey Deutsch. <laughs> uh, all of the old hockey players have the same accent that, that I do. But yeah, um, this is very unusual for me to do an interview like this right now in English. Most of the time, I have to do these things in, in German. So it's actually a bit of a challenge for me today to think of all these answers in German because uh, uh, in English because most of the time I answer them in, in German. Yeah, so I'm I'm um, functional, fluent in, in German, but my I don't speak uh, I, I speak a, a really strong um, accent. Thank you. Uh, so that's our last question from the floor. Is there uh, anything else that you wanted to say? No, no. I had a lot of fun today, Esme. Thank you very much. Um, it made me think about a few things that I haven't thought about in a, in a long time. And it's always, it's always important to, to reflect upon your life and upon your accomplishments or your failures. Uh, and so I want to thank you for the, uh, the opportunity to do this reflecting and so thank you for coming, Brent. I hope you had an awesome rest of your day. We learned a lot about you and your job. Thank you to my classmates for the questions, and thank you, listeners. Have a great day, and stay tuned for the next episode. to hear from you. Send your questions, show ideas, or any other feedback to talkingtoexperts at gmail.com.